welcome to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, or perhaps one of our wonderful radio syndicated partners across the country, or maybe even on the podcast, which you can find on greenmajority.ca. Uh, we've got a packed show for you today. Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, Dave is in the studio here with me. My co-host, Devin Hustetter. Saren Kaster is not yet here. He is on his way. He's been swallowed by the sun. Yes, exactly. As the sun only gets worse. Um, and more mouthy. And more mouthy, yes. Uh, the, the big concern, uh, the big, one of the big topics we're coming today is a whole slate of uh, different types of weather, extreme weather coming on across, uh, across North America. Uh, and then we're on the edge of a knife, Stefan. We're on, it's yeah. a turning point in history. It's yeah. a questionable period. Which way are we going to go, Stefan? Tell me. Yes, exactly. And I think if there's one... You uh, can't tell me. I can't tell you. No. Oh, I, I have my hopes and I have my beliefs, and they're unfortunately different. Okay. Um, but uh, I think the one um, micro story uh, that okay. uh, I think sort of maybe puts a, puts a fine point on the knife's edge that we sit on... Uh-huh. Uh, is that I needed a finer point. Thank I, you. Oh, no worries. I, can, I do what I can. Um, is that yesterday, uh, the uh, Alberta government uh, officially canceled uh, their provincial carbon tax. Um, and, and they were going to go, you know, they were gearing up for a big, big celebration. They were gearing of up the to cancellation? of the cancellation. Yeah, they had a, they had a, they had a plan to, to sort of really shout this from the rooftops, really really pat themselves on the back uh, to, of the uh, for their salute for their great great actions, um, only to have it uh, ruined uh, by what people in Alberta have started calling smoke season, uh, which is mm. a extended period of time uh, when the wildfires are so bad uh, that uh, that you cannot really be outside uh, in, in in Edmonton. They could not celebrate their carbon tax cancellation because of the smoke in the sky. Exactly. Yes. And I think if anything uh, is a representation of where we are right now, uh, it is the fact that we cannot celebrate our refusal to do anything because of the thing we refuse to do anything Couldn't they find a finely ventilated, ventilated conference hall or something? I think they actually were supposed to dealing with the fires. I think they, he, oh. I think they decided they should oh. actually take more <laughs> action on actually going out and doing something rather than just patting themselves on the back. Um, uh, that's, uh, that's obviously a, a little lighter way to put a, quite a harrowing story. And honestly, if you look at the photos of Edmonton, they are terrifying. Um, they, they are the, the, the it's, it's, it's like looking through a world in sepia filter. Um, Canada now, because of these wildfires, actually has like the second worst air quality of any nation in the world right now, uh, which for a nation this big and this filled with trees uh, is quite, quite, the, uh, quite the accomplishment. How do you calculate that for such a large area? I, I believe they have... It's like concentrated there and they're averaging it out over the whole land? Or? Well, no, I think they just have many, many, many places to receive, uh, to receive the information. But it's an average. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's an average. Okay. Um, but anyways, uh, so uh, with that said, with with that, all of those uh, little things, we're going to jump right into the stories, uh, and we begin with tornadoes. In a record-smashing month of May, <clears throat> that democracy now is calling, consistent with models predicting more extreme weather due to climate change, over 500 tornadoes have been logged by meteorologists around the U.S. over the past 30 days. We are now in the midst of the longest tornado streak in U.S. history coupled with severe heat in some places and flooding in others. While global warming is not thought to cause tornadoes, it does slow down the pace of jet streams, which is exactly what has uh, caused the extreme weather in this case. CNN reports, quote, Millions of people across the country have experienced extreme weather for the past two weeks. There was unusual cold in the West. Tornadoes and widespread floods have been slamming the central United States, and a record-breaking heat wave has been scorching the southeast. 
The jet stream pattern over the United States has been stuck for days, leaving cooler and wetter conditions in the West and hotter and drier conditions in the East. End quote. Oklahoma and Arkansas could face devastating floods, while Georgia is looking at temperatures 15% higher than usual for May and could soon see wildfires for lack of rain. CNN did suggest that the flooding was caused by climate change, but did not blame it for the more uh, general jet stream conditions. The uh, One of the th- finer points, or one of the things about this that blew me away, actually, uh, was that it's, you know, we, when we think of where tornadoes usually happen, you know, it's the Midwest, there's like a you know, tornado alley, uh, and you sort of hear these things. But uh, I believe it was yesterday before, Brooklyn had a tornado warning. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Uh, I don't believe they had a tornado, but there was an actual tornado warning in Brooklyn. Um, and so uh, this is not, you know, this this is, that's a pretty vast expansion of places where where, where these types of threats are, are, are happening. Mm. Um, I don't know if you can, you know, the, that's not at all uh, where, or, 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 and that, and like, just imagine the devastation that would be caused by one tornado. In a, in a place that densely populated. Mm. You know, we, there, it is not designed for tornadoes in any way, shape, or form. Not that really anything can be really designed for tornadoes, but the the amount of space that uh, that they have to avoid any catastrophic damage is, is nearly impossible. Mm. And one of the reasons they are so dense is because they're not in a place that is constantly ravaged by storms. Well, exactly, yes. Um, and, and so these are these are the types of things. And I, I want to do a long, longer thing at some point later about about the about the jet streams uh, because um, there are some some really disturbing trends going on uh, within these and within what they call atmospheric rivers, um, which are they're uh, getting more and more poetic. The scientists. Yes, I think you have to be. I think they're realizing that the only way to change those minds is to get a little bit get a little bit more poetic. Just flaunt it. Exactly. Get um, with it. But uh, but but let's keep moving on uh, to two stories of flooding. <laughs> Historic flooding across the Midwestern U.S. this spring has led to hundreds of millions of dollars in damage to farmland, homes, and businesses. While scientists remain reticent about naming climate change as the culprit, they are certain that climate change didn't not cause the flooding. March and May of this year have brought record-breaking levels of rainfall all over the Mississippi watershed, forcing the Army Corps of Engineers to open the Morganza Spillway which is one of three major flood control structures built in 1927 and has only been opened twice before. While much climate crisis literature highlights sea level rise as the catastrophe for coastal regions, a warmer atmosphere also holds more moisture, and scientists argue that that for every 1 degree Celsius increase in atmosphere temperature, there is a corresponding 7% increase in moisture, which leads to more precipitation and extreme weather events. This, happen- this means that increasing atmospheric temperatures can result in catastrophic flooding far inland. Or in other words, no one is safe. <clears throat> Not one. The unprecedented, scale of areas, uh, the unprecedented scale of areas in the Midwest affected by extreme rainfall has led to concerns of resultant crop shortages as intense rain becomes more frequent as a result of climate change. Thus far, only 49% of intended corn crops and 19% of intended soy crops have been planted this year in the U.S. due to oversaturation of the soil. Yeah, and that's a. I was I was looking at some numbers around uh, around the places where that have not started planting corn yet, uh, and it's it, it was an. This is a. I feel like you know it's 
fascinating that no matter how many th ways you pay attention and how many times you try to understand uh, where we're at in, in, in all the different types of threats that might be caused, somehow another one that you just did not even think about shows up yet again. You're like, droughts, all right, there go our crops. Now you're like, oh, rainfall, good for our crops. Now not so much. Well, exactly. You know, and, and especially when you're looking at this type of, um, you know, when, when you're talking about the fact that these crops themselves are not very not very resi resilient as it is. Um, the you know that, that the forty nine percent of corn crops haven't been planted yet is a pretty significant like that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt farmers. That's going to that's going to that's just proves the brittleness of our of our of our of our system. That if that if half of the of one entire crop can can be sort of delayed like this, and it's it's, it's not a short delay either. You know, it's been it's been a they should have been planted quite some time ago, and so and so we're really getting stuck into these into these loops in which you know what do we do next? You know, how do you how do, what what what's the what the the cat the the, the the coming down from each one, you know, starting with, okay, we now have 50% less corn, at least right now. I expect, of course, they will be planted uh, eventually. Uh, but that delay, what does that delay impact? What is the other next delay impact? And these things sort of cascade downwards. Um, and, and that's the complexity of the systems that we sit in really highlight how hard it is to understand all of the different ways that we will be impacted. Um, and and it's it's why the idea of adaptation, while uh, required, given that climate change is already here, um, it cannot be the an only answer because we we don't know what we'll have to adapt to. We don't. There's too many things that are that are possible, and too many ways things could break down that that we just don't understand the complexity. Uh, and it's. And so the idea that we'll just technologically solve every one of these things in ba is, is 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 ludicrous. Yeah. Hey, uh, first of all, hi, I'm here. Uh, this is Aaron. I snuck into the studio a bit late, but I'm in the studio now. So uh, just on that, uh, on the, on the, as we go through that, I've been, uh, as I said, we don't discuss our Facebook comments here on the program, but I discuss the meta conversation that is Facebook comments. Is it, so we don't talk about individual people's comments, but I think it's useful to talk about the types of conversations that are had on there. So uh, the, the reason I bring that up now is that one of the most famous, like super lazy troll, but I'm too lazy to actually put any effort into it. Things is that people do is they'll post articles with uh, confusing or counterintuitively phrased headlines on things. So the reason I bring that up now is that one of the ones we were getting a lot of last week was people posting things about uh, greening earth, you know, CO2, good for plants. Um, and the reason I wanted to mention that was that if someone, this is for the listeners, um, if someone does that to you or someone shares an article with that like that to you, in good faith or not, right? This Maybe this is an in good faith uncle or maybe this is just an internet troll or anywhere in between. Um, here's what you do, read it. Um, because every single time anyone has ever posted something like that on our Facebook page, I have read through the comments. You basically, you do a control F for the word, however, <laughs> and then you start copying and pasting quotes from the link that they shared. And I guarantee you 100% of the time, it will either be from a nonsensical source and then you can like, de like delete it. Like, you know, climate lies.com. Cool. All right. You forget about that. Any legitimate seeming source, I guarantee you control F for the word. However, <laughs> The um, all right. Well, let's. We've got more flooding, so let's just keep moving on. Uh, this time, Canadian. Yes, and we're we're flooded more and more on the Facebook by these uh, people calling us literally mentally ill. Yeah, yeah. There, we've we've we're getting trolled, which I think is a, is they at say least that we are mentally ill. That is right. Of course, yes, uh, we are. Um, I feel like we've got uh, we've got some fans, uh, but Canadian flooding. So uh, Canada has also seen its share of flooding this spring. 
with cities and towns in Quebec, New Brunswick, uh, southern Manitoba, and Ontario all experiencing flood emergencies, and the St. John River in New Brunswick having its second major flood in two years. While flooding to some extent is a yearly occurrence among Riverset communities, climate scientists like Blair Feltmade, head of the Intact Center on Climate Adaptation for the University of Waterloo, believe flooding is becoming more common and more extreme. Feltmate also lays blame for worsening flooding on bad planning and development. He observes that, quote, here in Ontario, and the trend is the same right across Canada, we've lost 73% of the original natural infrastructure that was here 100 years ago. Flood forests, fields, wetlands, marshes. That's disappeared. That's either been paved over or turned into agricultural development such that when the big storms hit, water isn't absorbed quickly on these new surfaces. While development and planning is usually a municipal or provincial issue, flooding is becoming a national one, uh, as small communities often lack the resources to buy out flood-damaged homes or build proper infrastructure like floodgates, berms, and dikes, while provincial governments cut municipal budgets in the name of fiscal responsibility. Furthermore, some areas may become uninhabitable if flooding as serious as what's happened this spring becomes a regular occurrence. As Deborah Harford, executive director of the Adaptation to Climate Change team at Simon, Simon Fraser University puts it, quote, what are we going to do about the places we can't keep saving? Even our premier, known pavement aficionado Doug Ford, linked the flooding in Ontario to climate change. CTV News reported that he believed climate change to be one of the reasons behind the floods endangering Ottawa homes for the second time in three years. The Huffington Post reports him as saying, quote, They say it's 100-year storms. Well, it's a few years later, and we're back in the same boat. We can assume there was no pun intended from the Cinderblock Ontarian. <laughs> Cinderblock Ontarian, nice. The, um, there is a lot uh, going on here. Um, I think, to me, one of the more... Uh, interesting aspects of 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 of, of Doug Ford uh, that is that is more Trumpian, I think, is is sort of his like whenever a, a storm happens in in, in the states, uh, the response by Trump is always to go on about how big the storm was. It was the biggest storm, as if like everything somehow the size of the storm makes him a more important person. Uh, you know, it, it's a sort of like he will never stop. It, it's amazing to hear some. It's like they say it's a hundred year storms and they're happening every year. I'm Trump. That's a terrible Trump impression. Don't use that <laughs> Trump impression. Um, it's true. But, he dwells on the size of the catastrophe to make him seem more important. Well, exactly. And 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 so and 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 I think Ford here with sort of with with, with sort of tying this into climate change um, is is sort of giving up the game a little bit in that the. What is he doing then? You know, like, like, and 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 I, I should say it's not actually just. This is not just specifically a uh, a a Ford thing because you know Toronto uh, under under Mayor Tory shot down the idea of a stormwater management fee um, in 2017. Um, you know, we've seen that our Toronto islands have not done any of the actual work to. You know, no one's actually invested enough to protect the islands from the constant flooding that we're experiencing in the last two years. Um, I remember there was a story. That we covered right around the time uh, last year during hurricane season um, about how Houston sort of knew that it was 
uh, at deep, deep risk of hurricanes. Um, and they had created a pretty substantial plan in the early 2000s to to mitigate those plans, uh, knowing that if they may, he was received another major hurricane and didn't get lucky like they did in, in the early 2000s, that a huge percentage of the city could be, or in the city's uh, infrastructure could be wiped out. And, and yet they could never find the money. Um, and so it's this, uh, and so, and so there are, right now, Houston remains incredibly, incredibly, um, at risk and, and it's all in, it's this type of thing where you go from, when you come back to it, it's the idea that, you know, we have to find a way to sacrifice quote unquote, to balance the budget while cutting the things that are actually causing people to have sacrifices right now. You know, how many people are losing their homes right now, whether it's the wildfires uh, in Alberta, whether it's the flooding here uh, or across the East Coast, um, people are sacrificing or are being forced. They're not, being, they're, not, they're not choosing to make the sacrifice. They're being forced to sacrifice uh, all under the guise that it's better for, for what? Economic growth? It's better for like the or, or that our current state of our current budget is somehow should somehow trump uh, their ability to live where they have lived previously. It's it's a it is such a um, a a a vile um, attack on 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 people who to force them to, to to reject the idea that they can live safely where they are. Well, that's one of the things with the census in the United States. When you start asking people their uh, their um, citizenship status on the on the on the census and simultaneously crack down on illegal immigrants or undocumented uh, immigrants, uh, you have people no longer responding to the census. And these are the exact people who are not cared for or who, who must look after themselves once the left destroyed, especially after in a place like Houston, the hurricanes a couple of years ago. Well, yeah. Uh, so not only like are they not getting funding, they're not even like it's as if they don't exist, you know? Yeah. And it, it, it's a it's a it's 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 quite it's it's interesting. It's it's, it's quite colonial um, in the concepts that those who have the power get to continue to live where they want to live. And those who do not uh, are forced off are, are forced off their land. Not even on the list. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, the, it's the story from two years ago. It's the oil CEO who is throwing a fit in front of Congress because he has rich, powerful friends about how a different oil company wanted to put a pipeline through his property and he lost his mind. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think like and it's this it's, it's, it's this constant displacement of of the uh, you know, of, of of the poor, um, that at the because because the the you know the the, the rich and those in, those in power have decided that uh, it's just not as in it, like it's worth it I guess like it's 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 the people who are have decided that the sacrifices should be made are the people who are not making the sacrifices. Like how how long and how brutally can we feasibly ignore these people before before our system crashes? What? And will we be dead when, before that happens? When I think well, I, I think what we'll keep doing and the, the one I'm really paying attention to really again is is the ability to ensure uh, you know and again this is sort of a, this conversation is 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 a little bit more slanted towards technically homeowners um, just because they're the ones sort of dealing with the, they, they're the ones with a significant financial impact on this. But even renters, anyone else who just lives in these places that, you know, if you just live in Edmonton at all right now, uh, you are being forced to sacrifice um, but with your air quality uh, despite, you know, despite anything else you can do. Um, and it's this sort of forced 
this 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 fact that these the, the people in power who aren't who have who are able to gate themselves off uh, and protect themselves from all of these types of negativities um, uh, are then the ones making the decision to to only exacerbate the problem is is just so. Uh, vile. That's all I can say. Um, uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You were about to segue to music. I'm trying to sneak something in there too. I'm sorry. Uh, so no, but it's it's entirely based on this right wing myth that if you if you take away a program that's named after a, t- a targeted group, that you stop as a society paying any money towards that quote unquote problem. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, like if you have a uh, homes for homeless people program, for instance, um, and uh, so Doug Ford, people like Doug Ford go in there and say, ah. I don't want, those aren't my constituents. I don't want to pay for that. So let's take away the funding for that program. Well, here's the thing. Just because you took away the Houses for Homeless People program doesn't make the homeless people go away. And those people, even if you are absolutely uh, emotionless computer with no morals, uh, an amoral computer system, still has to acknowledge that even if you don't care about those people, they are still a social cost, except now instead of paying for housing, you're paying for emergency services, you're paying for police services, you're paying for healthcare services. You don't make costs go away just by taking away the program that's named after them in almost all cases those costs actually go up that's my rant for the day i'll try and keep it on time for the rest of the show what we're gonna do is uh we're actually gonna listen to fashionable poop people by joel plaskett emergency and then we'll be right back feel foolish i want to drink too much you look polish got a wicked sense of humor I feel dizzy The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. That's a great song. I'm sorry. I actually didn't want to cut that off, but we have to keep moving. Um, And then this is where we find out if I did this properly. Lauren, are you there? You know, I am. Wow. You you did it right. Uh, we're, we're, we're at the, we're at the booth today that I have normal technical difficulty. So congratulations to me and moving on. Amazing. Uh, great to hear you, Lauren. Thanks so much for joining us as always. Um, uh, so we've got a couple stories uh, to, to get to sort of very different stories, but, uh, but we start uh, at Grassy Narrows. As we've mentioned on previous episodes, the people of the Grassy Narrows First Nation near Kenora, Ontario, have been suffering the effects of mercury poisoning for over 50 years now, with nothing being done on any level of Canadian government. The poisoning was caused by the former owners of a paper mill in Dryden, Ontario, who dumped over 9,000 kilograms of mercury-contaminated waste into the English Wabagoon River system over a period of around 10 years in the 60s and 70s. As a result, Grassy Narrows residents are now six times more likely to have debilitating health problems. Outcries for government action and compensation have been going on for years, with Justin Trudeau recently making fun of a Grassy Narrows protester at an event in Toronto. As the protester interrupted the ticketed event and was being escorted out, Trudeau said, quote, I really appreciate your donation to the Liberal Party of Canada. Trudeau has been invited to visit the area five times, but has never showed up. Just recently now, Federal Indigenous Services Minister Seamus O'Regan made a special announcement to the press to to tout his planned co-signing of an agreement with Grassy Narrows Chief Rudy Turtle, but was sent packing because his proposal did not satisfy the leading members of the community. They were supposed to come to an agreement on the funding of a treatment facility for victims of the mercury poisoning. The chief expects to be looking at a revised proposal any minute now, saying, quote, the things we're asking for are not unrealistic. 
They could do it if the will to do it was there. The federal government had already vowed back in 2017 to create a special treatment facility, and O'Regan stated this week, quote, building a health facility in Grassy Narrows is our priority. That's why Chief Turtle and I met in the community today. We're working in close partnership with the best interests of the community, and we're committed to getting this right. Uh, to you, Lauren, first. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is one of those sort of... Uh, injustices perpetrated on First Nations people that I think Canadians are, like, vaguely aware of. But um, as, as a nation, as, as settlers, we, we haven't adequately taken the time to sit with. It's um, hearing hearing David reference that uh, that party um, that, that, the, um, that, the, uh, that the land and water protector disrupted a couple weeks ago and Trudeau's response again. I'm reminded of that. That was, like, peak deplorable JT. That was truly disgusting behavior, um, and and I know he came out and he apologized afterwards, but it was it was so utterly inadequate. Um, it's it's the the case of Grassy Narrows is sort of it's another reminder in the lead up to this election that Trudeau talks a really big game on justice and reconciliation and environmental protection, but ultimately fails to deliver almost every time on all of those fronts. In favor of what I'm not too sure. Like I don't I don't know what is holding him back from devoting the time and resources and, and money that, that was promised to, to the people of Grassy Narrows. Um, and, and then again, the Grassy Narrows situation sort of points out this, this glaring blank void in, in the environmental movement, um, because this is something that we should be upset about and that we should be talking about all the time within the Canadian environmental movement. Um, and it's really, it's really shameful, because if this were happening in, in cottage country or even in, like, Kenora proper... As opposed to as opposed to grassy narrows, we would have this would have been dealt with thirty years ago, right? Uh, we we saw we saw the government spring into action when there was the water crisis in Walkerton back in back in the nineties. Um, so we know that we know they are capable of springing into action to clean water and 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 provide medical resources for communities when when they're in need. And and we just haven't seen that for the people of grassy narrows. Um, and and yeah, again, frustrating with from environmental movements um, and activists, because there are many anti-nuclear activists out there. There are a whole lot of people who who work really hard to, to try to get things like the Bruce Nuclear uh, Expansion, um, like like not followed through on and stuff like that. But, uh, but I don't necessarily see those people standing up for the folks of Grassy Narrows. And, and those are people who have, who have already sort of undergone um, stress and trauma and, and danger as a result of exposure to, to, to uh, sorry, not, not nuclear, but mercury poisoning. But um Anyway, I just feel like it's a gap in it's a gap in the environmental movement. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things that unquestionably would be solved had it happened almost anywhere else. You know, there's mm-hmm. like I think there, there, when you look at that kind of often in these types of things, uh, when when someone is you know when we're talking about environmental racism, um, and you know the tractor sort of being like sort of pushing back and sort of being like, well, you know, this is just you know it's, it's either overblown or whatever. The question to me, I always end up with is the question you've sort of posed, which is, would this be allowed if this was you know in in cottage country? You know, how mm-hmm. what would if if there was a a, a, a part a community in in, in Muskoka uh, that was constantly being poisoned um, and consistently and and it's not like it hasn't been in the news right it's not like it, like I don't yeah. think I don't think the um, like I, I don't I, it had it it every single government has said that they will have a plan. You know, even even Rod Phillips uh, has, you know, the, the Ontario minister now has come out and said we uh, promised a plan in a couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, in five months later, uh, they're still waiting to hear to hear what that looks like. 
Um, and and so it's it, and, and you know and I, I believe it was in 2018, uh, right before the last election, the Wynn government said that they would actually they were going to invest money to do this. Um, now, of course, the fact that the liberals were in power for 15 years and waited basically until they knew they were going to lose to put money into it sort of speaks again to the the lack of care, right? Like this is it's a it is an absolute blight uh, on the Canadian uh, on the on 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 the image of Canada. Really, um, mm-hmm. that that this is something that has been allowed to continue going on, um, and 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 yeah, the question like you have to keep coming back to in many ways is what would this look like if this was somewhere else? And the answer is definitely not this, you know, <laughs> like um, uh, and it's, it's and it, that's I think that's all that's like it's indisputable in my mind, um, but yeah, so let, let's. Um, th- there's a there's another story actually uh, that we are not going to cover this this episode, but we're gonna, I want to cover it in the future. Uh, so I'm just going to say to check it out, which is that the I believe it's the Toronto Star and National Observer have been doing a series of great pieces of work uh, around the price of oil, um, but but sort of taking a twist on the words prices of oil uh, to be about sort of the human cost of oil exploration. Um, and there's a really good article in and I believe it's the National Observer um, uh, that's talking about. Um, the uh, the Chemical Valley and the Amjad oh. First Nation uh, and and just what is happening um, uh, with, with in, the, in another example of, of you know peak environmental racism uh, surrounding the Amjad First Nation with uh, with the number of petrochemical plants that are absolutely poisoning them um, and it's it's a it's a long piece it's well researched it's 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 in depth uh, and so if you haven't checked out the price of uh, price of oil in and and all of the different studies please do it is really really good and I really recommend it. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna switch topics uh, quite quite dramatically, I think, uh, to to Greta Thunberg. Yes, the the environmental uh, scene is so rich. There are just so many topics to pivot to. Yes. So uh, Greta Thunberg and the school protesters have announced a call for every single adult in the world to join a global general strike on the twentieth of September. The worldwide walkout will occur just before the UN Climate Action Summit set for the twenty third of September. That will aim to inspire, quote, unprecedented effort from all sectors of society. The student strikes have been going all school year and are still gaining momentum, especially as other movements like Sunrise in the U.S. and Extinction Rebellion in the U.K. have also helped raise the profile of climate action. The student organizers recently put out a call for the general strike in The Guardian, writing, quote, Starting on Friday, the 20th of September, we will kickstart a week of climate action with a worldwide strike for the climate. We're asking adults to step up alongside us. There are many different plans underway in different parts of the world for adults to join together and step up and out of your comfort zone for climate. Let's all join together with your neighbors, coworkers, friends, family, and go out onto the streets to make your voices heard and make this a turning point in our history. This is about crossing lines. It's about rebelling wherever one can rebel. During the French Revolution, mothers flooded the streets for their children. Today, we children are fighting for ourselves, but so many of our parents are busy discussing whether our grades are good, or a new diet, or what happened in the Game of Thrones finale, while the planet burns. But to change everything, we need everyone. It is time for all of us to unleash mass resistance. We have shown that collective action does work. We need to escalate the pressure to make sure that change happens, and we must escalate together. So this is our chance. Join us on Climate Strike this September. People have risen up before to demand action and make change. If we do so in numbers, we have a chance. If we care, we must act. 
This won't be the last day we need to take to the streets, but will be a new beginning. We're counting on you. Uh, and to you again, Lauren. Yeah, um, I guess I guess right out of the gate, I want to say this is this is super exciting, um, and and I'm and I'm really looking forward to September. Um, but I guess I uh, what is sort of interesting to me about about sort of what's what's happening around September 20th is um, I've heard from from a couple of young activists um, who are who are younger than I am who are who are sort of more directly involved in in the climate strike movement um, a, a little bit of frustration um, because initially. Uh, the date that um, that had sort of been touted around was um, was September 27th, which is which is a, a week after this new date of the 20th, and I and I do understand that it's after the beginning of, of this climate conference. But September 27th had sort of been the date that folks were organizing and mobilizing around for for several months now. Um, and and although I'm sure Greta wasn't the only person who who, who decided to, to to mobilize on the 20th instead, um, I think. What I've, what I've heard again from young people is is there's a little bit of frustration um, because with Greta coming out and saying it's the 20th and now everybody's sort of frantically pivoting and trying to mobilize and, and, and rework their comms around around the 20th instead of the 27th um, I'm getting some frustration that that sort of uh, the fact that there are thousands of other young people doing this work uh, doing doing very similar work as Greta around the world working to mobilize their peers and their communities. Um, and, and her face is the one that is consistently at the forefront. Her face is the one that people see. Um, and, uh, I guess it's just sort of the idea that, that there's some frustration because grassroots community led movements like this one work because of the efforts of, of many, many people, um, not because of one sort of climate, climate activist or, or climate celebrity. Um, and, and in no way should this be interpreted as, as a criticism of Greta. She is, she's fantastic and she has done so much to popularize the movement and that's been really fantastic and she's a powerful speaker and a great leader. But, um, but I think it's sort of a, an indictment of, of the rest of us here for, for sort of failing to seek out and lift up strong youth activist superstars in our, in our own communities. We're not really doing that work. I know um, what, I've, what I've heard from, from folks my age and from folks who are older is, oh, we should see if we can get Greta to come speak at this event we're having in, in X number of months. When instead, I, I think the question we should be posing to ourselves are, who, who are the Gretas in our own communities? Who are those young people we can look to for leadership? Um, and I feel like, yeah, that's a conversation we're not having as much as we should. I just, I just want to turn my mic on to say, here, here. <laughs> Um, yeah, I find that I, I, I find it uh, very interesting how um, I, I, the impact, how different it is uh, to to have a space where um, we're in a committee organizing. Um, the, the 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 importance is 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 on is a is out everyone bring everyone coming up and everyone and everyone bring everyone with you. Um, and but the way media I think really reacts is they, they want a face. Right. Uh, they want someone to to show to they, they want a celebrity because because they think that's how that's how they get clicks. Um, and so it's, it's 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 so consistently I feel like there's a tension between uh, between how what what good community organizing looks like, um, which is which is a which is sort of a not I don't want to say faceless, but is a but is a but is it but is a many person team. Um, you know, it's a community. You're really growing and building a community of people um, and how the and how the general media wants to report on something, which is as if there's just these five charismatic leaders sort of running around leading these spaces. Um, and and I think that 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 tension between those two the, those two things um, really I think makes it hard uh, to, to to effectively organize um, around anything really um, because you get these you know the media I feel like wants to raise up these people make them celebrities and then cut them down for being celebrities. 
Um, uh, whereas, where and I also criticize them for not knowing everything, well, or, exa- or for every uh, ever making any mistakes or misstatements. Yeah, you know exactly. Like you know, it's like, hello, you are now famous. Be perfect. Uh, wait, you're not perfect. You're done. Um, which is a really ineffective way of actually building a a strong community uh, of of moving forward. Um, but we're coming up to the music break, so Lauren, I want to give you a, a chance for for last word. Yeah, um, something that, that I know we, we, we won't really have time to talk about it all today. I just want to mention it and maybe put it on our docket for next week is, um, I guess, just sort of asking listeners to, at least those living in Canada or the land we call Canada, to uh, to kind of look to the West. Um, smoke season has, has already started, and I know it's really, really affecting our friends and neighbors and community members in, in Alberta. Um, and it's and it's already quite devastating. Um, I, I had a friend who tweeted out today that, that she smelled smoke in her room this morning in, in Edmonton, not because her house is on fire, but because it's, it's just atmospheric at this point. Um, and that this needs to be a conversation that's connected to climate change. And at this point, again, the media isn't doing it. The, the general public media conglomerate that we, that we reference so often isn't, isn't making the connections that we should be with climate change in this case. So. Yeah. yeah, instead you have post media trying to buy into Ken, uh, to Kenny's war room. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, which, if you don't know what I mean by there, uh, just Google it. It's it's quite terrifying. Um, but yeah, yeah. By all means, and even to, like look at the photos. They're absolutely devastating. Um, and and support uh, our, our our friends in the West Coast as much as you can. Um, and it, it goes back to you know something that we've said a lot in, on this show, which is you know. Uh, I'm consistently conf- I'm, I'm, I'm cons- I, I will consistently push back on the narrative. I guess is what I'll say uh, that uh, that the conservatives care about Alberta um, and everyone else doesn't because the conservatives were the ones who will you know be unrelenting on on on, on pipelines um, when uh, when it seems like what they're really doing is is, is allowing Alberta to burn um, and in not showing up when they need to. Um, so, uh, with that, uh, thank you so much, Lauren, uh, as always. Uh, and let's go to our music break, Sarah. So uh, I found some more, uh, Joel Plaskett. We're doing a Joel Plaskett emergency themed show today. And, to the next song we'll be listening to, unfortunately the last song, because I forgot, Dave, I forgot how much I like this musician. Mm. Uh, oh, you were nodding yeah. furiously during Things the first have song. have got to start some. Where? Right, I feel like this is such a Dave band. <laughs> this is like if you know if you know Dave, this is a very Dave band. Uh, all right, uh, enough goofing around here. Uh, this is Natural Disaster. We'll be right back in a minute. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Our wonderful and very pe- appreciated community radio partners, or the podcast. We'll be right back. All right, and we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM, and you may not have known what show it was listening to, but you darn well knew it was Canadian radio station with that those lyrics. I mean, my goodness. Joel Plaskett emergency. Canadian wow. treasure, as one person barked to me <laughs> on Wolf Island. See, wow. that's the interesting thing about being a not-really-music person who has to do music stuff, is you just type Canadian band, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Mm. It's mm-hmm. great. All right, back to back to news content. Take it away, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, so as a quick heads up, uh, this, is a, this is The Green Majority, and next week we'll have a feature-length interview, uh, full-length interview. Feature-length. Feature-length. I like that. A whole uh, full feature-length interview, good long hour the um, and uh, 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 Dave has interviewed uh, Stephen Sharper, a friend of the show, 
Professor Stephen Sharper, Pro- University of Toronto. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, and so, so that'll be next week. So we won't have time uh, next week to talk ab- about a couple of things. Um, and so I want to get in two uh, two little notes um, before we before we get there, which is one, uh, actually three little notes. One, the NDP releases climate plan today, uh, so go look at it. Uh, we'll have more talking about all the party's climate plans in future episodes, um, including the Greens and NDP, which are both better than everyone else's, as you can imagine, um, but uh, but in a nonpartisan way. Um, but the uh, but the uh, other information that you need to know is there just to further tie into this uh, this this Alberta uh, ongoing um, crisis. Uh, the smoke season. I, I, I can't. It's to me, it blows my mind alone that there's they've named a season after the smoke. Um, in the same way that sort of hurricane season has become such a such a sort of thing, the fact that smoke season has become such a thing uh, because of the wildfires, it should be enough to wake us up. But apparently, it's not. Um, is that during the middle of smoke season, uh, the global petroleum show will be happening in Calgary from June 11th to 13th, um, uh, and they'll have a whole bunch of speakers who will have, I'm sure, will have a lot to say about how to solve climate change. Don't you love um, all this burning? Pay us to burn more. Yes, exactly. Um, and and the reason I, I mention that mostly actually is as a, as a segue to the fact that um, a a underreported I think side uh, and especially if you keep hearing about uh, how important and how required uh, the um, the the oil sands are to the Canadian Canadian economy uh, and how much how consistently we on the show and ever and other people have have highlighted how bad of an idea it is to bank ourselves on on this type of thing. Um, uh, capital expenditures on oil and gas fell another 4.8% uh, in the first quarter uh, of, of 2019. Uh, and that is the fifth consecutive quarterly decline. So there's five consecutive quarterly declines mm. on capital expenditures. Uh, and the thing about capital expenditures to understand is that they are, plan- they are, u- they are investments to build and move stuff into the future. Uh, so this is more and more people are not seeing a future in the oil sands, and I sincerely hope our government will be one of them soon. Um, and and that is why some type of just transition to get those workers, uh, you know, renewable energy jobs, um, and uh, which which unfortunately are now being canceled by the by the UCP right at this moment. You know, people who would have had jobs in the renewable energy sector are finding themselves relayed off again because of the because of the, the change in government. And there'll be a very tender conversation around. Uh, if this does happen, when the oil sands do decline, who will be blamed for this? Yes, right. Yeah, um, and, and 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 I hope the 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 central question I would hope we come to uh, is how do we help uh, and how do we retrain these people um, to to get into other jobs, mm-hmm. which is what was happening at least a little bit, and now we find ourselves back at square one, um, while while. <clears throat> you get smoke in people's living rooms. Um, but let's move on. we got three stories to cover in the last 14 minutes, so let's start with Freedom Gas. The steadily burning circus of the contemporary United States, no less disturbing than the creepiest scenes from William S. Burroughs' Naked Lunch, is continuing its sad, slow scream into Hades with an attempted rebranding of liquid natural gas. With no U.S. natural gas going to China in the midst of Donald Trump's wildly absurd trade war, the United States has decided to rebrand liquid natural gas, which is often mostly methane, as freedom gas. Rebecca Joseph for Global News quotes a few of the major players. U.S. Undersecretary of Energy Mark W. Menezes says, quote, 
Increasing export capacity from the Freeport uh, LNG project is critical to spreading freedom gas throughout the world by giving America's allies a diverse and affordable source of clean energy. Assistant Secretary for Fossil, uh, for Fossil Energy Stephen Winberg said, quote, I am pleased that the Demar Department of Energy is doing what it can to promote an efficient regulatory system that allows for molecules of U.S. freedom to be exported to the world. And U.S. Energy Secretary Rick Perry said in Brussels earlier this month, quote, the United States is again delivering a form of freedom to the European continent, and rather than in the form of young American soldiers, it's in the form of liquid natural gas. Wow. Uh, I, you think they would have learned the absurdity of naming things freedom things, um, but I have, a, I, have, I have one main comment here, which is that... Um, I think I, I would say that uh, that the all you're going to get from burning freedom gas is a f is a large amount of hot air. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to say I was going to say that you know I've been saying on this program for years that the American pursuit of freedom would be the death of us all. It's just now I get to actually make it be literal. <laughs> the yeah, this is ridiculous. This is this is one of those things in which uh, is is a story that, ex that I feel like mostly exists to remind us that we are if you don't learn from history, even if it's the history of freedom fries, we're doomed to repeat it. Um, this is. Unbelievably ridiculous. Uh, Do you like my freedom smoke? Oh yeah, exactly. Yes. Let's, let's just call freedom everything beforehand. Uh, we'll be so free as we as we burn. Our farmlands have become freedom deserts. <laughs> freedom change. <laughs> this is like freedom change. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's. I, I only have more sarcastic, annoyed things to say about this. Uh, so I'll save them for the end in case in if we don't get to them. But let's keep moving on in actual news. Democracy now has put together a set of three very telling paragraphs on the Trump administration's new efforts at climate denial. They note that the New York Times is reporting that a, quote, coordinated multi-agency effort against climate science is underway. Worst case scenario projections will no longer be allowed in, natural, national climate, in the national climate assessment, and there will be a special panel set up to question the, set, the assessment's conclusions. National Security Advisor John Bolton has been instructed to no longer make any public reference to climate change, and the U.S. Geological Survey will stop its climate proje change projections at the year 2040 rather than estimating impacts through 2100. As well, the major climate policy player for the Trump administration is the climate denier William Happer, who once stated, quote, the demonization of carbon dioxide is just like the demonization of the poor Jews under Hitler. Yeah. Um, Carbon dioxide is, is people, partner. Yeah. It's a person. <laughs> it's a person. This is, this is again, this is absolutely atrocious uh, in, in so many ways. Uh, can can it, we just, because, uh, I mean, it's silly and we had a laugh. Can we just, for the sake of um, clarity here, also just make a serious point that was serious, which is that that's hideous. Yes, exactly. It's yeah. hideous. We're laughing because oh, yeah. it's silly, but yeah. I, just, I just want to acknowledge for the listeners that we also, no, in no. the studio, acknowledge that that is a hideous thing to say. Well, it's, it's, it's it, yeah, it is a, it is a fundamentally uh, anti-Semitic comment, to be perfectly frank. Uh, it's, a, it's a fundamentally offensive comment, um, and it is a, it's, it's this, it, 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 I guess it goes to show you the length uh, to which um, people who just want to feel like they're good 
uh, or, or want to, don't or who know. I feel like they have to know they have no leg to stand on. Like if you are deciding that you're going to make a you're going to make a comparison that a a gas that is created by the breaking down of of of, of mostly everything in this world um, is is somehow the same as 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 killing six million people. Um, it, it, like it's it's unbelievable how how non-existent that argument even is. It's it's you're not you're just you're just you're just you're just evoking uh, the the horrendousness of of the Holocaust as a way to just feel like you are on the right side of history. When I think anyone with a brain would would say would would could show you that that is not the case yeah. like it's I, I, ju- I just say that because if if we've learned anything from the age of trump it's that just because somebody says something ridiculous doesn't mean that we shouldn't take them seriously well yeah exactly yeah um and it's just like it's a it's a it's where this is the type of thing that you have to and you 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 and like once you have lost every other leg to stand on um i think this is where you end up yeah and this william happer character is an atomic physicist and now he's the climate change guy for the Trump administration. And as uh, Stephen Sharper pointed out to me after the interview that I conducted that will be aired next week, he uh, goes, you know, having, uh, having a physis- uh, an atmosphere, uh, atomic physicist or any of these other uh, seemingly science people become climate change, uh, climate change experts who are being paid to comment on this stuff and make policy is like getting a foot doctor to tell you about your heart or to do surgery on your brain. Well, it comes from this extremely ignorant misunderstanding of ignorant people that smart people who agree with you are right and smart people that don't agree with you are are biased, right? But as evidenced by Dr. Ben Carson, the head of uh, the housing, uh, Department of Housing, um, smart people aren't smart. You can be really stupid just because you do something smart. And I'm going to violate your principles here and just mention that one comment on Facebook that told you, uh, your, why is your science better than our science? <laughs> we, we, we both have science. Why should you say yours is better than mine? I don't know. It's almost like we should come up with this system but that would remove the emotional thing and would actually be able to do that in some sort of objective manner. I wonder why. We could call it like peer review we or something. It, well, yeah, it's like if you do it and then I look at it and then, and then, I, do, and then I repeat your work and then, and then you look at it and then you... Re- if we do that over and over again, maybe we could like improve our confidence in the findings of those things over time. Mm, maybe uh, wow I, somebody, just, someone should write this down yes yeah we need we need this in some sort of book um uh, we got one last story uh speak and i think it sort of is a as a capper of a little bit of what we've been talking about all all show which is about political polarization a recent survey of political opinions by yale university researchers found that climate change is now the most politically divisive issue among americans <clears throat> the study, which asked participants to rank social and political issues in order of importance, found global warming placed third most important among liberal Democrats behind environmental protection and health care. Conservative Republicans, on the other hand, ranked global warming dead last behind 28 other issues, constituting an even wider gap between the two voting blocs than the perennially, div- perennially divisive issues of abortion and gun control. The gap remains slightly narrower between moderates of either political affiliation, with moderate Democrats ranking it 8th and moderate Republicans placing it at a level-headed 23rd. The study found that political identification, more so than race, gender, or age, was the surest indicator of a person's stance on climate change. The survey also found that 7 in 10 Americans support the Green New Deal, including 44% of Republicans. Although, as Oliver Millman reports for The Guardian, this number has dropped since the study was released, 
possibly as a result of Fox News's ongoing assault of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has become the political face of the Green New Deal. Former Republican Cong Congressman Robert Inglis, who now runs right the right-wing climate activism group Republic Hen, the Republic EN, who was interviewed in the Guardian article, is optimistic that Republicans will come around on climate action. He notes that Republicans in competitive districts are starting to talk about, quote, realistic solutions to climate change, noting a, quote, huge change from where we've disastrously been for the last decade. And Chris Moray, who prepared this story for us, notes that Republican is a conservative climate activism nonprofit dedicated to free market climate solutions. And as far as he can tell from their website, the only environmental policy action they are pushing for is a carbon tax. Yeah, so the, the, the little history I've covered, I find the Republic N quite interesting um, because I, I do feel like they are, um, you know, because, because what happened basically was that uh, Robert Inglis ran um, on, uh, on, not, on basically believing climate change um, or had that as a part of his pol part of policies, and then he got primaried by a, by a Tea Partier uh, and so lost his job. Um, and so he was one of the early Republicans to actually adopt the fact that climate change really is happening and exists, uh, only to have the Republican uh, basically establishment uh, undermine him and then kick him out. Um, well, you mean that? How is the Tea Party the Republican establishment? Well, at least a, a good percentage of, of of the of the efforts there. You know, the the Tea Party at this point really is the Republican establishment. Let's be real here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but but I think it's important. Uh, this is the, the, this is the thing that I've been I've I've, I've talked about a couple times right in the show, which is that, you know. The conservative response to climate change is a price on carbon. That's the conservative response to climate change. And if you're a Republican right now, if you're a conservative right now, and, and you are going to go all in against the, against the carbon tax or price on carbon, what you're going to end up with is a Green New Deal. What you're going to end up with is a dramatically larger government response um, in it from, from the government itself because you've made the alternatives so toxic politically. You know, like the, the the switch that we've seen in the last couple of years, where you know, quite for quite some time, uh, you know, the general environmentalist movement was willing to was willing to pretty much get behind and believe that a price in carbon was the number one way to get something solved, um, has in some ways missed its Overton window. You know, we've 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 lost that a little bit. You've seen the last little while carbon tax after carbon tax being brought down, obviously in Ontario and in, in Alberta. Uh, you know, and and that the and that what's experiencing what's being experienced there is that is that is a shift to away from market-based solutions and towards dramatically more uh, investment and dramatically more uh, energy towards a uh, towards a, a a significant shift in government style entirely. You know, a, a shift towards a, a dramatically larger government response, um, whether it's you know job retraining and, 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 and a just transition um, and all of these types of things that are now being brought into this Green New Deal. And so, man, if like if I was like, I'm sure I, like I'm sure if I was a Republican or a conservative who who believes in climate change and and easily don't doubt about it, you guys have really messed this one up. And unless you figure out how to shift a majority of your of your people, you're going to end up with, uh, in my mind, still a better and, and more comprehensive plan on climate change. Uh, you're welcome. Um, but uh, but this is where we're at. Right. Um, and so we're, we're running out of time again. We will uh, next week. You will actually just hear an, a full feature length interview uh, with Professor Stephen Sharper. Wonderful interview. Wonderful interview conducted by Dave Hosdetter. Um, and then we'll come back uh, the, the week after with with another show. So have a, have a great week uh, next two weeks, everyone. Uh, and then we'll uh, we'll see you all real soon. Um, and uh, have a great, uh, great time. This has been The Green Majority on CIET 89.5 FM. Have a wonderful week, everyone.